We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. NBA most valuable player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Middleton. Hey there, welcome to the Eurostep uh, Milwaukee Bucks podcast. I'm here with a special guest I will introduce in one second. You know, the NBA season is very, very near now for the Milwaukee Bucks. It's in just about two weeks, um, but there was a long off season, and during that long off season, you know, a lot of a lot of Bucks stuff that was really kind of just focused on, you know, oh, Giannis can leave, where's Giannis going to go, etc. Uh, except for a couple of very smart pieces written by my guest here, Jonathan Chark, staff writer at The Ringer, about Giannis, you know, uh, whose free agency is mentioned where it makes sense. But two pieces here, Giannis can be the world's best player if Greece figures out how to use him. That one didn't go great for Greece. And Kawhi versus Giannis is the next generation's LeBron versus KD. Uh, Jonathan, thanks for uh, stopping by here on the Eurostep and for writing some good smart pieces about Giannis and the Bucks. No problem, and thanks for your uh, great podcast name. That's a that's a pretty genius call on your part. You're <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I think Kane Pittman actually came up with that. So shout out to Kane, the uh, my former co-host here. But it is certainly a great name, and I will I will generous I will gladly continue using it uh, out of uh, because it is it's truly a, a great name. But you know, to get started here, first off, I just wonder. You know, clearly uh, a lot of your time here spent this offseason thinking, writing about Giannis in particular. What about him is it that, that makes him so interesting for you to sit down and, and, you know, think about and write these pieces about? Yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the best players in the league, right? He's a uh, new face to the NBA, probably writing MVP. And 
you know, I mean, you look at, I think really, if you like reverse engineer it last year's playoffs, um, that I think the move of the playoffs was Kawhi shutting down Giannis in the conference finals with Golden State going to all his injuries. That was the adjustment that pretty much swung the entire championship. Right, right? Because if cause they were up 2-0 on Toronto, if they don't make that switch, if Kawhi doesn't guard Giannis, the Bucks win that series and then beat the Warriors in the finals. So that to me is like, that's like the, the, the chess move was, okay, Kawhi shut down Giannis, and now it's okay. How is Giannis going to counter? Right. And, you know, unfortunately, the Bucks and Giannis didn't really seem to have that counter. You know, there's a lot of talk about him adding the three-point shot. I mean, he's had a couple good games shooting the three in preseason. Um, that would be one one answer. To me, that's almost always felt like too convenient of a thing to just sort of say, you know, ignore everything else that I think could be better, has quote-unquote gone wrong, you know, for the Bucks, especially in that Toronto series, and just say, well, maybe Giannis gets the jumper and it doesn't matter. I think the other stuff does still matter. Like, personally, I'd love to get your take on this, and I have a bunch of questions about the pieces in particular, but now that we're at this Eastern Conference Finals, I'm too interested in it to, to veer away from it right now. Did it not seem like the Bucks needed to find some other way to attack with Giannis especially, you know, pick and rolls with various players. I know there's something you've touched on in, I think, the, the, the Giannis and Greece piece because Greece, I mean, much worse than the Bucks at using Giannis, which, you know, at some points didn't seem possible, especially the Jason Kidd era. But, you know, what are your thoughts on adding some sort of a pick and roll or some other element, assuming Giannis doesn't, you know, get that jumper down pat and just become un- unguardable? Yeah, I would have loved to see more um, get Giannis the true pick and roll point guard and play him in space. Like, uh, I think the closest guy you had that was Malcolm Brogdon, and they let him walk. But, like, there's not really another guard in the roster who can shoot off the dribble and then make plays in space. I thought that was one part of it. And the other thing that really killed me in the playoffs last year is they kept Lopez in the whole time. And it was obvious at the end of that series, Kawhi could just get two points on Lopez whenever he wanted. Put Brook yeah. in that pick and roll. Either Brook switches out, he can't stay in front of him, or Brook plays back. He has to pull up whenever they wanted. Like, to me, them not using the going smaller, playing Hill, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis. To me, that was like the great – that was what they left on the table last year. And I, I don't know what would have happened if they had done that. I would have loved to see it. And the frustrating part, Toronto isn't, wasn't that big a team. Like, who's going to kill you inside if you're playing off at the five? Like, Gasol and Ibaka? I'll live with that. Yeah. No, yeah, I think this was something... Oh, sorry, go ahead. That's it. Oh, something that I think... This was very frustrating to me as well. I mean, it just seemed like the Bucks, you know, their their thing that they did all season, and I think they were almost a victim of their own success and that they really, they played the same way all year long. You know, they Brooke Lopez dropped on defense. You know, they shared the ball and, and didn't run a lot of pick and roll or certainly a lot of ISO on offense, and it worked. You know, they won 60 games. They, they destroyed... Uh, Detroit, as everyone knew they would, after a quick bump in game one, they then went on and destroyed Boston. And I just think, you know, the lack of the adversity earlier, and I, I don't want mean to just go into, you know, couch speak or whatever. I mean, it's there are strategic things that should have been done no matter what. But I do think that, you know, the lack of them hitting adversity, just playing the same way and having it work over and over again left them without, you know, I, I don't know if they it wasn't thought about to try to adjust more and try different things, if it just 
they weren't comfortable because they hadn't had to do those things. But something I've been harping on this whole offseason is, you know, I really want to see the Bucks try more stuff, run more pick and roll, play small with Giannis at the five more. And, you know, if there are detractors to that, they'll probably say, well, you know, the numbers on those lineups haven't always been great. Well, it, it's hardly used, and that's fine. Like, tr- like you're going to have to figure out some things. There's going to be some warts at first. That's how it goes. But that's what the regular season is for. You know, if the Bucks, if, if you could ask any Bucks fan or, or Buck, probably per, any person in the org, you know, would you trade three, four wins, you know, in trying out some of these things and figuring out other ways to play for then having an answer to, to what Toronto did in the Eastern Conference Finals? And like you said, potentially going and winning a championship. I think the answer is pretty easy there. So I think for me, outside of just strictly Giannis becoming even better, which seems just unfair to ask of him at this point, um, I think the Bucks just need some more versatility in their game plan, you know, more more options, more go-tos, an escape valve, if you will, when things get tight like they certainly did in that Toronto series. Well, that is the knock on Buddenholzer, even going back to his days in Atlanta. He, like, he has his stuff. He maximizes efficiency, and he just runs his stuff. Like, you look at those Hawks series, um, they got swept a bunch of times. And that's never encouraging for a coach. You would hope in those series, like the way these series tend to go, you know, it's, it's, it's step A, counter B, step C, counter D, right? It's a chess match. With Buddenholzer, it feels like sometimes he has his stuff, they adjust, and then he's like, well, I have my stuff. Mm-hmm. So that would worry me a lot if I was a Bucks fan. I don't know that's going to change either. No, yeah, that's, that's, I think, one of the biggest sort of, I think there's like two or three things that are like sort of black marks going into this next Bucks season where you know, there's a lot of positive. They're going to be very good again. In my opinion, there's only one team that can really contend with them to win the East. So it seems like at least a good shot at, at going to the finals. I mean, we'll see who comes from the West. It might be very, very hard to win it, but it should be. I mean, that's how championships work. But, the, the, you know, there's the, the I'd say around three things that are really concerning. Giannis' free agency, which I, I truthfully, frankly, frankly, not even being just a, you know, I don't want to talk about this because I live in Wisconsin and watch the Bucks, whatever. I just don't think it's that worth talking about now. I think we won't get answers on this until probably after the playoffs, depending on how they go, and next summer. So that's just something that it'll always be there. It'll certainly always be talked about by a lot of people. I don't know if it's really worth discussing. There's the, you know, the concept of Bud just being rigid and not running anything else and and not finding those other things to do in the playoffs, which, like you said, I mean, it, it ends up being necessary. I mean, even the Warriors, when things tightened up, they couldn't do their Warriors stuff anymore. You know, they had to just say, KD and Steph and sometimes Clay, just go make plays. We're going to do a little bit of pick and roll. We're going to do whatever else. Like, you need to have those other things. I mean, hell, the Raptors ran box and wanted it kind of worked against Steph and the Warriors. And then the third thing is, like, what is Eric Bledsoe going to be in the playoffs? So certainly I think... It's it's weird. It's like there's so much positivity going in, but there's also these things that you can kind of ignore for now. And like, yeah, it's not going to matter when they play, you know, a depleted Nets team in the first round or whatever. But those are the things I think personally they're going to have to figure. Oh, two of them, they're going to have to figure out to win in the playoffs in a in a more important way this season. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's hard to imagine, barring you know injuries, the Bucks not making the conference finals. And they're going to play the Sixers. They win that. We're gonna have to play the Clippers, maybe the Lakers. I mean, it's a whole different game with that level of the playoffs. That's the thing. Is it feels like sometimes Bud just focuses on maximizing efficiency, and 
when you get to that level of the playoffs, it's not really about efficiency. It's about matchups and adjustments. So we'll see. He has a lot of pieces. The team is very deep. They're going to miss Brogdon in the playoffs, I think, but they are very deep. And I don't think it'll matter much in the regular season. The guy I'd like to see more out of is DJ Wilson, but mm-hmm. I'm worried he's going to get buried at the bench again this season. He might. Um, he certainly could. Ersan Eliasova is probably still going to play. Oh, man, um, Bud loves Ersan. I was actually – so I was in Dallas. Um, I was talking to Bud for something else, and he brought up Ersan. I thought he had a great summer and how he – you know, the whole nine yards. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a fantastic, very, very on-brand thing to have happened, Bud just randomly talking about Ersan Eliasova. He's, his third season of that contract is non-guaranteed, and it wouldn't shock me if the Bucks like, just kept him and let it guarantee at this point. Yeah, I just I just took a DJ Wilson. I feel like he's the guy that gives you versatility because he can shoot and play on the perimeter and handle it. And if they don't play, and like it's gonna be tough because they brought in Robin Lopez to back up Brooke. They got Urso on the backup four. They got Dragon Bender, who's interesting too as a project big. I could easily see uh, Wilson kind of flipping through the cracks. And if he does, I would back him on another team. I think he's got a lot of potential. Yeah, I think so too. It's interesting. Bender's actually had a, a really good preseason so far, and unfortunately, DJ hasn't gotten a play. He's got a, a hamstring thing that wasn't supposed to be that serious, but he also hasn't played a playoff game yet, so we'll see about that. I think he had a similar injury to start last season, but I agree. I know there's a lot of a very vocal section of Bucks Twitter out there who definitely agrees and thinks he could have been one part of the, the escape valve or other strategy. Certainly, you know, him and, and Bender, too, in a way, if he's a real thing. I mean, clearly not a good tenure in Phoenix for him. But those two guys, like that kind of player, that long, like obviously not a traditional five, but a long four who can shoot a bit. I mean, Bender, it's kind of theoretical until we see it in the NBA. But those just seem like perfect pieces to go with Giannis and four or five pairings when you can throw out, you know, those, two of the, one of those two guys, Giannis, Middleton at the three, and then two guards, you know, Bledsoe and one of Matthews or Corver or Sterling Brown or Pat Connaughton or maybe even Dante DiVincenzo, whoever they want to use there. Um, those lineups always have seemed to me like they could be a little bit unstoppable, like it, especially if you let Giannis handle the ball in them more. Because I just wonder who do you have guard him, and then, you know, if that's your center, then you can't really have him back, you know, defending the perimeter. If it's not your center, the guy might be too small to guard Giannis or some of these other guys. I, I agree. Those are the lineups, those, those Giannis of the five lineups. Like, even if you don't use them all the time, you know, you're not going to start that lineup. But see what it is. See how it works and, and have it ready as another card in the hand. No, I guess, to be fair, this year, when the Raptors are gone, it couldn't be Philadelphia. And then you got Embiid. So I'm guessing you wouldn't want to go small. I mean, really, if Bud's not going small against Toronto, he's not going small against Philadelphia. That yeah. means... Who did he have guard and be last year? Was it Lopez mainly? Uh, I, yeah, I want to say Lopez took it on a lot. Um, I'm almost uh, primarily I would say Lopez, so I assume he'll have both Lopez brothers do it this year. I remember didn't it wasn't that one game where like Giannis had like 50 and Embiid had like 45 or something. Yeah, it was a tremendous game. I want to say it was like January, March, like sometime around then. Hoping I don't it really was going to re- be a playoff. I don't game. really remember. Did Giannis guard and beat at all? I think he ended up a little bit late. I don't. They don't like to do that. They don't like to use Giannis on any of the primary guys. I mean, uh, like this is the thing. I mean, you touched on this in your, your oh yeah, Kawhi comparison. Yeah. yeah, you gotta have him guard. Like I think, you know, to unlock Giannis the most, you have to have him guard the ball. Yeah. Well, like I, that's I, what I, happened with uh, LeBron too in Miami. 
when they really had to, LeBron guarded the ball. And that's how you can maximize his versatility. Yeah, I I almost looked at it as kind of the same idea as the small ball lineup, even if even if you are playing big, like against Philly or, or whoever you're playing against. I wouldn't do it the whole game. You know, it's like playing a small lineup. I wouldn't start him off, you know, guarding the hardest guy because I do think there's a tiring effect. I do think it, it would it could tax his offense a little bit. But certainly, decide, like late in games or at key moments in a series, maybe the whole game in a series, if it's a permanent guy like Kawhi, I do think that's that's when you break the glass. You just say, Giannis, go try to lock this guy down because it's great having him play off ball. He's very, very helpful. But it's just not the same impact. I mean, it's just not as useful as putting him on the guy and saying, make this guy's life hell. And really, I mean, although we haven't seen that happen a lot, there's no reason to think it wouldn't work. I mean, Giannis has all the tools. He's a terrific defender anyway. And it's just really, really hard to score over with this combination of strength and length. Yeah. I and mean, we saw it. You saw it with Kawhi in the playoffs. Just the value that can have that kind of adjustment. And two, like, as you go deeper in the playoffs, you're playing Giannis off the ball. You're going to play teams who space it so well that the off-ball player is not as valuable, yeah. right? Like, sure, if Giannis can sag off a non-shooter, but sooner or later, there aren't going to be a non-shooter on the floor. So you have to have a plan B for that, too. Yeah, that's another, another really, really useful point. I want to go back. We touched on earlier sort of not having that pick-and-roll partner for Giannis. And I've been looking into talking a lot about Giannis in the pick and roll because he's elite running it on both ends. All of the, all of his efficiency numbers, both as a handler and a roll man are, are phenomenal. He draws a ton of fouls. He scores at a really, really high rate. What do you think first about having him as the ball handler in some of those with, you know, whether it's the center or maybe a, a rangy forward like DJ Wilson or someone like that. And what do you think about Chris Middleton as the ball handler in those getting Milwaukee's two all-stars involved in actions like that? I mean, that would make sense. I mean, really, though, if Giannis is handling the ball in that, I think you'd want, like, the point guard setting the pick. Okay. That forces the mismatch. That's what Denver does a lot with Jokic and Murray. Sure. So they invert it, and so when, Jok- when Murray sets the pick on Jokic, obviously they can't switch it. So that leaves, like, you know, that puts two guys in the ball, and they have space around them, and he makes the next pass. I mean, that, to me, is an easy adjustment. Love to see more of that. Yeah, I mean, Middleton and Giannis makes sense. I mean, middle, like, have Middleton on the ball. I think, I think with that, that's an automatic switch, right? Like, if you're playing yeah. the Clippers and you have George on Middleton and Kawhi and Giannis, just it's going to be a switch. So you don't get to you don't get to make defense adjust as much, I think, in that, with that scenario. So that'd be the one downside of that. That's a good point. I mean, I, although I do think trying to plan out how any action works and puts the Clippers at a disadvantage is going to be tough this season. That defense is... It's fun to talk about all the offense in both L.A. teams, but that Clippers defense is just going to be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you have three of the top, I don't know what, 10, 12, 15 on-ball defenders in Beverly, uh, Paul George, and Kawhi. I mean, it's, if they're all healthy, and, and George isn't right now, and Kawhi is off and on, but if they're all healthy, it's it's just hard to see how you beat that team in a seven-game series if they're healthy, I guess. I mean, is that – who do you have uh, the Clippers right now as a title favorite? I think so, just because of the combination of depth and star power. And, you know, I mean, I think with Durant out, Kawhi has the crown. Like, someone's going to have to beat him in a series. And he's shown he can beat anyone in a series. Right? Yeah. He's beaten LeBron, beaten Giannis. I do think with the Clippers, the one question is, which is not really, because he's shown he can guard Giannis, can he guard Anthony Davis? Because I don't right. see him having a counter for Anthony Davis necessarily. Because I think David, see, Davis probably theoretically can do what we want Giannis to do in terms of the jump shot. 
right? So if Kawhi is musting him up, Davis can just face him up and shoot over him, which Giannis couldn't do last year. And that'd be the one thing that the Clippers I'd be worried about is they don't have that, you know, unicornist player to guard Anthony Davis. But the Lakers have other issues, who knows? They don't want to be, want to be madder. Yeah, I just think with the Lakers' biggest issue, I think, is going to be their lack of depth. I mean, it feels like pretty much all of their lineups are going to have at least one player on the floor that you're comfortable enough with to go make Anthony Davis's life a lot harder. Like, I just think they're going to have problems rolling out a lineup where you're like, oh, we can't leave that guy alone. I mean, the internet loves him. I don't think teams are going to be too worried about giving Alex Caruso some space to go, you know, hamper Anthony Davis in the post. Like, I don't think anyone's going to be that worried about, you know, I don't know. I mean, you don't want to leave JaVale too much, too open because then he'll just go get a lob. But I, I don't know. It's just I just worry about their entire unit cohesiveness. And, I'd imagine and, they'll go LeBron, AD, Kuzma, Danny Green. they got to find a fifth guy. Is it yeah. KCP? Is it Avery Bradley? Pretty sure it's not Ron or Dwight Howard. But this is also a team, I mean, if it's buyout season, this is going to be a team that's very dangerous in buyout season. So, yeah. Iguodala, so he doesn't have their shooting very much. You put Iguodala on that team, it's pretty interesting. It is. He, it's going to be fascinating just in general to see what happens with him and, and the Grizzlies right now. It's an interesting sort of quagmire they're all in with all the money owed to him, and he doesn't seem that interested in being a Memphis Grizzly, and they don't seem that interested in him you know, getting cut or released and, and them getting nothing for all that money. And obviously trading him is really hard because of the contract too. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Everything I hear is it's going to be one of the LA teams, but I yeah. guess we'll see. We'll be back with more great stuff from Jonathan Charks in just a moment here. But I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsors. You know, speaking of talking, talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses about having a long day at work or just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and just take care of it. All you have to do is go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and you'll get a free online visit, and don't forget about that free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. One last time, GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Speaking of things shipping, when you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. It's time-consuming, it's expensive, and there's so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com to know for you. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, you'll save precious money on shipping costs, and you'll keep your customers happy, and that's the most important thing. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. That makes them really easy to manage from any device, even just your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. 
you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You can ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Eurostep listeners can try ShipStation free, F-R-E-E free for 60 days when you use offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even putting in your credit card information. All you need to do is visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E, ShipStation.com, then offer code BLUE, ShipStation.com, make ship happen. So, you know, what made, what really made me think about this, I've been thinking about doing this podcast and talking Bucks and Giannis with you since the, the first piece, the Grease piece came out. Because it's, you know, basically, not to spoil it too much, everyone should go read these pieces on The Ringer uh, if you haven't already. And I'm sure I'll, I'll link them on Twitter or whatever too. But basically that sort of sums up with, you know, LeBron and, and Jordan's gold medals didn't really matter. I mean, it's, it's cool. It's, it's a plus. But no one... I mean, that's the dream team stuff was maybe a little different, but like, especially LeBron, like no one really cares that much. No one talks about it when you talk about his overall legacy, but someday if, you know, Giannis, his career goes the right way and he were to win a gold with Greece in the Olympics, you know, over a a stacked team USA as they all are, that could go a long way to making him the greatest of all time. And, you know, it it was funny because I kind of sat there and was like, huh, as someone who, you know, talks about the Bucks, writes about the Bucks, everything else. I haven't really thought about Giannis's long-term like potential legacy yet. I mean, obviously, nothing is there yet. He's not the greatest of all time right now. He's not really close. He's not like a season or two away. But how good he is at his age, certainly it, it makes sense to talk about. But what got you thinking about Giannis's legacy as he's you know 24 years old, about to be 25, I think? Well, I think we just we were just talking to someone about it and. It feels like he's the first guy where he, internationally he can make the legitimate case that he's the best player in the world, especially in these tournaments, right? Since, like, you know, Jordan in the 90s, U.S. was the top dog in these tournaments. They had Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, you know, Durant. But it felt like this is the first time, maybe since Arvidas Sabonis in the 80s, where, okay, the best player in this tournament is not going to be an American player. And it's like, well, that's crazy. The best player is international player. And if you're the best player in the world at any one moment, then especially these days, I feel like the best player in the world now has got a case to be the best player of all time because the game has progressed so much to this day. I think it's the highest level basketball we've ever seen. So logically, you know, if he can put it all together, it didn't work out though. It was tough. That Greece team did not. It was a very unfortunately put together team. That was very frustrating too. Yeah, it was. I mean, just it, it took the Bucks, you know, sort of frustrating on the court thing to another level. I mean, just the thought of that team, and, and I don't want to insult anyone on the Greek team. They're all very good players, certainly all much better than I am. But the thought of that team of, you know, mostly not NBA guys and Giannis being left out of, of key moments, either not playing or, or just sort of in the corner watching, it's just kind of mind-boggling. And I, I don't mean to take – you know, all blame or all responsibility off of Giannis. You know, he, he there's some there too. I mean, he didn't play as well as certainly he he thinks he should or he could have, but it was just hard to watch him not be the central focus of everything they did. Hard to not see him surrounded by shooters after the blueprint the Bucks gave all, all last season in the NBA. 
I mean, when you're watching this, you know, are you frustrated at the way Greece is using Giannis more or at his play personally? Um, you know, at the way he's being used. But that goes to that p- the other piece I wrote. Like, if he has the jump shot, it doesn't matter. That's yeah. the thing right now with Giannis. Because the jumper's not there yet, he can be at the mercy of his team and his teammates because he can only score in certain parts of the floor. I mean, if he's going to be the best player of all time, he has to be a good shooter. I guess, I guess that's pretty obvious. That's the right. thing. It's like, if he has a shot, it doesn't matter. Like, if Giannis can shoot, like, pull up threes, it doesn't matter who's on the floor with him. He can just win any game. And that's, you know, we'll see if it happens. And that's why kind of what I thought the Kawhi comparison was so interesting. Because Kawhi came in the NBA as a bad shooter, right? And it's like, Kawhi put him to work, man. Kawhi was in the gym for five years just working his three-point shots where it's money now. Like, Kawhi was money from 18, 20 feet. And that's the thing, too. It doesn't even about the three-point shot. It's like having that pull-up jumper to where the defense can't crowd you. They can't play off you and give you space to shoot. And then you, once you have that shot, the rest of the game opens up. Because at the end of the game, you need that, you need the pull-up jumper because the paint's going to get cut off. That's what Giannis saw, I think, last year in the playoffs. It's what LeBron saw, too, eventually. Like, you play a good enough defense, they're not going to give you brim shots at the end of the game. It's just not going to happen. The guys are too good. They're too big. You have to be able to pull up and shoot. And if that doesn't happen, then it really limits, you know, then, like, everything else would be perfect for him to succeed. So, will he get it or not? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's the the billion-dollar question or, or whatever you want to say for sure. I think I was having this conversation with someone recently um, just sort of separately about kind of the divisions between the great players. Giannis, as he is right now, I agree. He needs the team to be right around him for it to work the right way. And we saw the, the limitations of that sort of, I don't know if philosophy is the right word. It's, it's not like he chooses to be limited, but that sort of style of play. And, and you know, I think a, a counter sort of the other way that was brought up in this conversation was Steph Curry, where he is, you know, if he's surrounded by, he can certainly create for himself a little bit, but we've seen, you know, the offenses, the systems get gummed up and, and Steph has had troubles sort of just beating teams. I don't think it's a perfect comparison. I think Steph can score inside right now better than Giannis can score outside. But I think it's interesting when you kind of like oppose those guys to your Kawhi, KD, LeBron, those sort of players who they can just go get the bucket. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. They'll, however they have to do it whether it's you know a longer jump shot, attacking the rim, pulling up, posting up, whatever it is, they just go get the buckets. And that's kind of an interesting thing. I feel like I haven't really thought of it that much before, and it's something that I don't know if you can quantify with stats or anything like that. It's just sort of there's just a difference. You know, those three guys, they can just go win the game with like team aside, whatever else. You know, whereas, you know, guys like Giannis, Steph, the system is more important. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy to, to look at, you know, splitting up the great players that way. Yeah, I mean, I think clearly Giannis, you know, it's crazy. So if you look at the NBA Finals last uh, 10 years, it's been uh, nine of the last 10, I think, was LeBron, KD, or Kawhi. So I think LeBron has three, maybe not, no, eight of the last nine, maybe. I know yeah, LeBron I has it. three, Kawhi has two, KD has two. And then Iguodala has one. Yeah, right? for the finals MVPs, right? It's all the same position. It's all the big wings. That's the position. That's what it always comes down to. Who's the best big wing in the league? And more often than not, 
if you can answer that question, you're going to win a championship. And for Giannis, right, that's the level he has to reach. He has to reach that Kawhi, LeBron, KD level. And it's pretty obvious if you compare Giannis to those three guys, what's missing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then I think, you know, tied into that here, my last sort of question slash talking point, whatever, is, you know, that, that second piece, Kawhi versus Giannis, is the new um, LeBron versus KD. There's obviously, of course, a Kawhi comparison, which I think is a good one. I think it's it's good to think about. A, a funny aside is, like, the players who Giannis has been compared with through his career. I remember, like, rookie, like, early second year, we were all talking about how great it would be if Giannis could be Nick Batum, who was good at the time yeah. with the Trailblazers, to be That's fair. Funny. It was like, oh, man, if he could be Nick Batum someday, with with, with what Jabari is going to be, the Bucks could really be special. And then, right. obviously, that didn't work out the second part at all. And then it was like maybe Scottie Pippen, and now he's talking about some of the greatest of all time. So that just shows the the leaps and bounds Giannis has made. But there's sort of, in, in both of these, there's maybe not super direct, maybe not fleshed out, but there's always been a little bit of a LeBron comparison. You know, LeBron, also another guy who had trouble shooting early. It cost him in the playoffs early, and he really had to add that jumper before he could go win titles. And I, I just wonder... I, it's so hard to compare anyone to LeBron. I mean, I think it, it's fair to say where whoever your greatest is, he's probably one, two, or three. And a lot of people put Kareem up there. Some people put Bill Russell, whatever. LeBron is up there. He's one of the greatest players of all time. Maybe the greatest. I mean, certainly if you talk about era mattering, pretty easily the greatest player of all time. Is it fair to compare Giannis to someone like that? You know, is it... Is it almost putting too much on, or is it apt? Because, I mean, you look at, you know, the point forward who can run the floor, the big wing, the guy who can be a lockdown defender when he needs to be, the guy who, you know, needed or needs to add a jump shot, whether you're talking about LeBron or Giannis. Like, is that a fair comparison, do you think? I think so. And I think, you know, you don't want to shirk away from that if you're Giannis, that kind of, if you have that potential. It just... I think if you're a Bucks fan, the question, the concern is, well, LeBron didn't win a title for his first team. Yeah. He needed, needed a KD either. So, I don't know. I mean, they got they got two years to figure this out. To me, I I think ultimately, I think letting go of Brogdon for money is going to be the thing that's kind of – because I feel like you've lost your moral high ground now. Like, what are you really going to say in two years if they don't win? Well, we don't. We won't pay your players, your teammates enough to win. That's what you're gonna tell. That's what you just told them. Because, like, what's the argument to paying Brogdon? He's too expensive, right? That's the only argument to not paying him his money. Yeah, but I mean, that's like, what's frustrating about this for me is there are, I think, legitimate concerns about Brogdon, and, and I don't think necessarily it's enough to mean you don't pay him. But I mean, straight up, like, obviously, if if the option is you just don't pay him. And just not to pay him, or you don't pay him for a reason, and you go get the they they got some draft picks from Indiana, whatever. If you want to use those to go make a different move, which I thought was the case, which I I thought that was very defensible, personally, personally, because Brogdon has had some serious injury concerns in two out of his three NBA seasons, missed part of the playoffs this past year. Really, really good shooter who does not have a quick release, doesn't really generate his own shots outside of his drives, which are pretty phenomenal, but. He hasn't been as much of a pull-up guy. I mean, he was the beneficiary of playing on this Bucks system, whatever else. Still a very good player. I don't think he's going to be exactly what a lot of Pacers fans expect, but I think he's going to be good there. But I just think that, you know, if the, the move was, we want to get some picks, we want to get ready, we're going to go trade for someone. Like, we, we, we need these assets to go make this move and add 
try to add Bradley Beal or whoever else. And I don't think they have the stuff for Bradley Beal. Don't get me wrong, but try to add someone. Cause I agree that dynamic point guard would be perfect for this team. I, I, uh, a couple of years ago when the Cavs found out they needed to trade Kyrie basically, cause he said, so there was this talk of like Middleton and Brogdon for Kyrie. And I would have done it then. And I would still do it now just cause I think you just find some wing guys and Brooke Lopez and whoever, and that team's going to be really, really, really good. Cause you cannot stop Kyrie and, and Giannis, but all this to say, Basically, I thought there was a, a good reason for, for moving on from Brogdon. I think that, there, that that it does make sense when you look at it in certain ways. But certainly, if the move is just, we don't want to pay this guy all this money, then no, I, I don't think it's a good move. And, and I don't think it's particularly defensible either. Well, I mean, so I think a lot of times when we kind of talk about these things, we'll all focus on, like, flexibility in the cap. Oh, well, now they're more flexible. But flexibility isn't going to be on the court against the Sixers, right? Right, right. You've got to do something with that flexibility. Because right now you replace Brogdon with Wesley Matthews. So, yes, not paying him maybe makes you more flexible, but you can't sell flexibility. You've got to sell players. Yeah. I mean, I love Bradley Beal, obviously, but, I, yeah, I don't see them having enough pieces to make a Bradley Beal trade. It seems they don't seem like they have enough. yeah. Maybe if you gave him like all your picks for like six years, maybe. Like and if you un- throw in, un- like the, the the kids, like DJ Wilson, Dante. But, but you're not, but want. you're not playing those guys, so they have no trade value. Yeah. That's the thing too. Like trade value only exists with the statistics, right? Like the Wizards could think, "Oh, I like DJ Wilson," but if he's not playing, he has no value in a trade. You can't do like, "Oh, we're gonna give you this great piece who doesn't play." Yeah. So that's the other problem is you're more flexible, but you don't really have young guys who are getting minutes to be part of trades. The guy I've been wondering about is Chris Paul. Yeah, That's yep, the guy absolutely. who could be available for pretty much nothing. And that's yeah. maybe at that point, if you fall out of love with Bledsoe, maybe you could do, I don't know what that trade would look like. It's he's so expensive. What, yeah, what, would, yeah, the, what would the trade be? So I've, I've looked at this a lot. There's a lot of people who are going to absolutely hate this, you know, on the, on the buck side of things because they just don't, a lot of people just don't like Chris Paul. Uh, a lot of people don't like. You have to give up uh, Bledsoe, Ersan to start, and then you need to add like three more, like like just salaries, just whoever, like Pat Connaughton, and then like another guy or two, I think, just to make the number work. And that's obviously that's if you take back nothing but Chris Paul, which is what you'd want to. Let me see. So these are thirty-eight million. It's hard to trade yeah. the thirty-eight million dollars. So Bledsoe, Ilyasova. Yeah, I don't see you can make this trade. I don't see enough salaries here. No, you have to get yeah. rid of Hill, maybe. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you have no depth whatsoever at the point Ooh, guard spot. Tough. Yeah, and then tough. Chris Paul plays. You know, these days what like fifty to sixty games a year. Yeah, the upside is there. Like I do think Chris Paul with this team probably makes them better. Like if he's on the floor, than than Eric Bledsoe with this team, just because. He's a guy who can he can hit you with that jumper in the pick and roll. Like he knows but how to I, do that. I want to keep George Hill though. I want to keep Hill because I feel like he's probably your Brogdon replacement as George Hill actually. He might as, be. Like, a, he was as fantastic. the bigger wing who can. Yeah, he was great. It was crazy to me is like I that was smart by Rich Paul to get that extension before the playoffs. That was oh, yeah. some great agent work because like Butler's in bench for George Hill in those, in that, those series. He sure was. Yeah, that was and it made it. I did. You know, he had the playoffs uh, struggles the last year or two. And you kind of, 
you do you explain it to yourself and, and to the fan base if, if you're the Bucks, by you know whatever like he struggled one year we got him down now before he hits the market you know this could be a bargain the way he's playing I mean he was an all defensive player last year but it's just so weird to me that he's two years in a row now just unplayable in the playoffs after well, I mean having he lost such a good regular shot. season yeah like, people are not guarding his jumper and he's not making enough to make him pay. Well, I was one last thing here before I, I let you go, and this is just to tie it all up, because especially, you know, you mentioned Chris Paul, and I wanted to ask you about this as well. Bledsoe, not the tallest guy, I think about six foot one. Chris Paul is even shorter than that. But you wrote a piece many, many years ago, I believe, about Chris Paul just being too short to succeed in some of these, like, clutch situations. Like, for all his skills, all the things he does, he's just not physical enough do you think that could apply to Bledsoe at all as well, or is it just simply like the yips with the jumper? Yeah, I mean, Bledsoe's longer, though. He's got super long arms. Yeah. So he plays bigger than his size. But yeah, Bledsoe's even worse because he's not a good shooter. And I, I like Bledsoe. I've always liked his game. He's a fun player to watch. But the facts are the facts. In these playoff series, he can't shoot and no one guards him. And so hopefully he can shoot. I don't know. Yeah, it would be nice. Um, That'll be, you know, like I said, one of the big things, big things to watch for, big potential warts for the Bucks this season. But that's all I've got. Uh, Jonathan, again, thank you so, so much for taking the time. Thank you for persevering after some early technical difficulties. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for, uh, for coming on the Eurostep today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Good luck with the Oshkosh herd this year, man.